This is a Real Presence Radio News Link. Catholic Social Services and the Diocese of Rapid City have partnered to create a COVID-19 response fund for Western South Dakota families. Through this fund, families are able to apply for assistance by meeting certain conditions, including if someone in the family tests positive for coronavirus and then it hurts the family's income, if there is a temporary loss of employment, and if pre-existing medical conditions cause a person to self-quarantine, resulting in financial hardship. More information about this fund can be found online at cssrapidcity.com. And men, if you're looking for something to do this weekend, grab a buddy and register for the first virtual Catholic Men's Conference. From Friday at 11 a.m. Central to Sunday at 11 p.m., you can log in anytime to hear inspiring talks by speakers like Father Mike Schmitz, Father Larry Richards, Jeff Cavins, Damon Owens, Christopher West, plus many more. And it's all free. Learn more at virtualcatholicconference.com. This has been an RPR Newslink. Looking for the latest news coming out of our local diocese on the novel coronavirus precautions? Listen for RPR Newslink updates Monday through Friday at the top of each hour during Real Presence Live and again throughout the afternoon, five minutes before 12, 1, 5, and 6 p.m. Central. We want to keep you informed so you can make the best decisions for you and your loved ones in this time of trial. It's the RPR Newslink, weekdays at the top of each hour during Real Presence Live and five minutes before 12, 1, 5, and 6 p.m. Central, right here on Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope. Mayo Pharmacy in Bismarck is a faith-based pharmacy committed to delivering excellent care. We're pro-life and pro-family, respecting the dignity of the human person while providing for your individual needs. We have Catholic gifts for all ages, from mystic monk coffee to cards and crucifixes. Plus, we offer a wide range of clinical services, including rapid influenza testing and diabetes care management. You can visit us at 303 North 4th Street to discover the Mayo difference. Our number is 701-223-2424. In today's crowded higher education field, there's one university whose quality and personal care stands out from the crowd, the University of Mary. The University of Mary offers truly affordable, flexible adult education because your success is our priority. Here, you matter, and we're with you every step of the way to make sure you succeed. Choose a university community that cares about you as a student for life. Discover us at online.umary.edu slash discovermary. Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our residents as family. Rose Management provides affordable housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. All Rose Management properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. If you have any questions, you can call 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. We all appreciate the comforting things in life. Great food, laughter, celebrating Mass together, and friendships. Here at Riverview, we have all those things and more. Hi, I'm Carrie Dew, Executive Director. With Senior Independent Living Apartments and our Crosshaven neighborhood for those seniors who need a little more assistance, it is the sense of community here that makes Riverview home to all of us. Contact me, Carrie Dew, or Kelly Brecky for a tour at 701-237-4700 or online at homeishere.org. Through these times of trial, we invite you to join us in steadfast prayer for all those affected by the coronavirus and for increased hope and trust in the Lord. Monday through Friday from 10.30 to 11 Central during Real Presence Live, our hosts lead a live rosary for these intentions. We also celebrate daily Mass at 9 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. after the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. And on Sundays, we bring you Mass at 7 and now 10.30 a.m. Central. Please join us as often as you can. We're your family of faith and hope. 
This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Good morning again. Welcome to Real Presence Live. Um, One of the ways that you can listen to Real Presence Live is via our app. If you don't have it, Head to the App Store on your phone and search for Real Presence Radio. Once you have it, you can listen to great daily programming from Real Presence Live. Find the daily podcasts if you happen to miss a show. Reflect on the daily readings. Submit a prayer request. and Even become a part of this family if the Lord calls you to make a donation. So take a moment and download our app as we prepare to head into our next interview. It's great to have you with us this morning. I'm Father Mike Malloy. I'm here with Andy Shaw. And Karen Gibas, we are uh, the um, three musketeers, Father, Son, and Holy <laughs> Spirit, and we're not going to decide who's who. We're just going <laughs> to say you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay. Just happy uh, to be here. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, good to always be together. Um, uh, this morning, right now, we're joined uh, by Dr. Joseph Stewart from uh, the University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning, Father. How are you doing? I'm great. And how are you? Good day. It's a beautiful morning. All right. Yeah, it is. It's beautiful here. Is it beautiful up there? It is. Yeah, yeah, I think we're heading in that direction, too, so that's wonderful. So, uh, Dr. Kim, before we begin talking about our topic, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I teach history at the University of Mary, associate professor there, also a fellow in Catholic studies. And I've been there about 10 years now from Michigan originally. Um, I'm married to Barbara Stewart. We have two little girls. And uh, I teach a class with Dr. Ray Gruby. He's a, a retired orthopedic surgeon. Uh, we teach a class on the history of science and medicine at the University of Mary. And we work a lot with colleagues at the University of Mary, from uh, nursing all the way to chemistry. And we teach this class uh, together and, and looking at the themes of how faith and reason have sort of collaborated and worked together over the centuries. Wow, that sounds interesting all by itself. We're going to invite you back. <laughs> yeah, That's not the topic for today, but that sounds like a great topic. <laughs> so... Um, you know, obviously the topic that's in everybody's minds and heart these days is the COVID-19 crisis that we're dealing with um, everywhere all the time. It seems like that's all that's on the news. But this is not the first time the church has faced an epidemic or a pandemic. Can you share with us some examples of past situations like this? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, this probably comes from this, this class that I mentioned on, on teaching the, about the history of medicine and seeing how through the centuries, Christians have, uh, you know, heroically met the needs of the time. And uh, so what I'd like to do is, and you can interrupt, we can go on tangents as, as you wish, but uh, to talk about some, some examples from the early church, and then talk about the most recent worst pandemic, which was in, in 1918. So that's what I thought I'd, I'd do. And uh, so I want to just offer a couple of reflections first on how, in the, in the early days of Christianity, you know, the healing ministry of Jesus was central to to the faith, to healing people who were sick. And uh, after Jesus uh, ascended to heaven, this mission was taken up through his followers and through the early Christian church. And so it's, it's not surprising that you know, Christians were really the first to create the, the first hospital in the world by the late 300s. Um, they, they created uh, ambulance groups. Bishops would hire people in the streets who would go out and bring sick people back to clinics and things. Uh, to help them and take care of them. And, and so this very sort of noble tradition of taking care of people through health care has, has deep roots in, the, in, our Christian, in our Christian faith. 
Wonderful. To, and, so, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So I thought I, I, I just share a little bit from a uh, an excerpt here from uh, Bishop Dionysius from the time of the the plague of Cyprian, which uh, just it killed millions of people through the the Roman Empire. And uh, this good bishop here recorded for us the heroism of our Christian brothers and sisters uh, as, a, as a source of nourishment for us today. And he, he wrote this. This is from about 260 AD. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ and with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors, and cheerfully accepting their pain. Many, in nursing and curing others, transferred their death to themselves, and died in their stead, turning the common, common formula that is normally an empty courtesy into a reality, your humble servant bids you goodbye. So as many, you know, in the, in the non-Christian world were fleeing the cities and fleeing from the sick people, uh, this record talks about how Christians in the early church really took care of each other, and this could be at a basic level, just food and, and, and water, even if you weren't a trained you know, health professional, but just taking care of each other, and that led to a lot higher survival rates in the Christian communities and, and contributed really to the conversion of the, of the Roman Empire. Hmm. So, Dr. Tellis, you mentioned the, the, the uh, 1918, the pandemic there which was, um, we hear that connected the coronavirus in, in many situations. So talk about that, if you would. Yeah, I sure will. So this was the most, the most deadly pandemic in the 20th century. Um, about 675,000 people passed away in, in our country. Uh, as we heard on the news this morning, there are experts predicting up to 200,000 in this pandemic. So uh, hopefully not as bad as the, as the first one, but we can certainly learn, learn a lot of lessons uh, from it, I think. And, and uh, one of those lessons, I think, is just, you know, particularly from the North Dakota experience, which I'm sure would be similar across the Upper Plains here, but the, the heroism that, that was there. And I, I found a couple of examples of, of particular nurses who had a couple of interesting things to say about this earlier epidemic. Um, and then I'll talk about the Catholic response particularly. But um, this is a lady, Esther Teichman. She's from Burley County, which is my county right here, uh, Bismarck. North Dakota, she was a member of the Army Nurse Corps, and she said, she said this, quote, the influenza epidemic of 1918 is a never-to-be-forgotten experience. And we who were in the camps are not the only ones who carried some scenes in our minds that cannot be erased. It is an experience that I trust our country will never again be called upon to undergo. The epidemic came upon us so abruptly, so unexpectedly. Now, you know, looking back, these nurses who I'm talking about here in, in North Dakota were just remembering the the, the closed shops, the uh, closed churches, um, the quiet streets all through the United States, just like it is today. And uh, and yet they reflected back on how they were uh, had so much appreciation for their nursing profession and all the work they had were able to do to, to relieve suffering. Interesting. So, um, so obviously, as you just indicated, this isn't the first time we've had, you know, not had mass celebrated, not had stores open, and those kinds of things in the, in the history yeah. of the United States. Um, doctor, the role of the church in these times—you've got a, probably got a much broader sweep of this than any of us would have. The role of the church—how has it remained the same? How has it changed over the years? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think, you know, here, I guess I, I draw from recent uh, recent um, discussion of Bishop Robert Barron out in California recently. He was talking about how, you know, during this time, we have this gift of the Internet and radio and this modern media communication so that, you know, the ministry of the Church, right now at least, is not able to to work very much through Mass and sacraments and things right now, but yet we have this this great gift of communicating as we are at the moment from different places with each other, and it's very inspiring and and very beautiful. And so I think that's something that's new in this this situation. It's really a gift of divine providence that's helping to sustain the faith of millions of people uh, right now is, is the very thing that we're doing at this moment. And so that's something that's new. Um, so I want to tell a few stories that, that indicate some of the things that, that stay the same and things that um, can inspire us from the past that we need to, need to keep an eye on. And, and this comes from the Catholic response to the 1918 influenza epidemic, which um, was truly, truly devastating in our country, particularly in the big cities like Philadelphia, which just literally came to a standstill for the month of October. 1918, and there were probably about 15,000 people died in that city in that month. And um, the historical records that have been put together about this are really fascinating. Um, And there were about 2,000 religious sisters who were sort of released across the city, so to speak, um, to the the hospitals and and the clinics because up to two-thirds of the nursing staff got sick themselves, and they were out. And so they were desperate for, for people to come and help, and so they called the Archbishop, and he said, okay. So he then got in touch with the Mother Superiors, and they were just dispatching uh, sisters across across the city to take care of just thousands and thousands of people. You know, 10 sisters to the general hospital, 10 sisters to that emergency hospital, 20 sisters to the orphanage, uh, 3 sisters over to the, you know, uh, the, the other institutions. And so they sent all around the city to, to take care of people, and had a, a pretty major impact. Uh, and just even on conversion uh, of people who were, were being taken care of. And if, if we have time here, I just want to share two stories about that, if that's all right. Yeah, you, you just let me take a break here just to let people know that we're listening to Dr. Joseph Stewart on Real Presence Radio. We, um, I'm Father Mike Malloy along with Andy Shaw, and, and he's talking to us about um, how the Church has responded to pandemics in the past, and right now he's talking about the Church's response to the pandemic of 1918 in Philadelphia. Dr. Stewart, continue, please. Yeah, thank you. So this is a story um, com- coming from the Philadelphia Municipal Hospital, and um, this was the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament who were working at this institution. And one of the sisters recorded this, and this I'm taking this out of the um, American Catholic Historical Society of Philadelphia records. Uh, the first trace described is that of a young girl, 16 years old. Opposite her bed lay her dying mother and sister. Beside her lay her three little nieces, ranging from one to five years. They had just lost their father through the dread disease, influenza, and were about to lose their mother, their grandmother and aunt. This young girl soon showed that she also was to be called away. On the night of her agony, she clutched the sister's hand with the grip of death. Her delirium is described pathetic yet consoling. In her brighter intervals, she would imagine that she saw angels over her bed, and in the moments of peace, she would beg the sister to teach her the Hail Mary in Latin. For in heaven, we must pray in Latin, as all do, she said, and she died in peace. Um, so, 
sad, you know, very tragic stories. And yet, you know, these sisters were with these people at this time. And just having the sisters around, even for non-Catholics, was incredibly inspiring and consoling. And, and in these records that I've been reading over the last couple of days here, I've been just seeing, you know, the, the peacefulness that these sisters brought, both to survivors, those who survived, and to those who, who passed away. And uh, one other story was, that I wanted to share is very beautiful, too. Um, this is a sister who is uh, talking about the different patients that she's taking care of. We, we had in our ward, she writes, Greeks, Italians, Jews, Armenians, Negroes, Poles, and even East Indians, she wrote this. They, they were all God's sick children, and I love them. We were going constantly, from 9 in the morning until 6 in the evening. Then we returned to the convent, tired, very tired, but it was sweet to come home. We ate our supper immediately, then went to chapel for benediction of the Most Blessed Sacrament. After this, we retired, but not until we had told in a few brief moments of recreation our little experiences of the day. One night, just before we left the ward, a man, non-Catholic, died. We prayed with him up to the last, and though he seemed unconscious to all else, he still, even with the death rattle in his throat, repeated the aspirations we whispered in his ear. The head nurse, moved by this, gave him conditional baptism. So the opportunities for bringing Christ to people, bringing the gospel to people, bringing physical healing and palliative care, and just even sometimes just basic care, uh, was made a profound impact on the city of Philadelphia. As letters of thanksgiving uh, came from all the city authorities to the archbishop and to all of these sisters afterwards, and just and just real gratitude to the incredible witness to Christian charity that took place just, just less than 100 years ago in our, in our very own country. Hmm. Those are beautiful stories. The, Incredible. The, yeah, I, lo- I love the imagery they provide, too, with those letters uh, from the f- sisters. Dr. Dr. Stewart is with us uh, from the University of Mary, and history of science and medicine uh, is kind of up your alley. And, and Dr., two things... Um, that I'd like to ask you that just pop up in my head, and um, if I need to repeat them at all, please let me know, because my mind is just spinning with all that you're sharing. Um, But number one, you know, as you said, you've been reading these stories uh, back from 1918, and and obviously in everything else that that you teach. Is there, do you see a craving of, in these stories, a craving of Jesus near death, when people are about to pass? Is there, you know, you read that story just now of the sister in the teaching the Hail Mary, but uh, do most people that you're reading about crave Jesus when they die? Well, there's certainly a an intense awareness um, from these stories of of the spiritual dimension that's that's happening. I mean, other stories talk about they took care of many many Jewish people, and uh, they saw the emblems of the Sacred Heart of Jesus that the nuns were wearing, and they asked to have to have one, and they were nuns were given out freely to anybody they wanted one, and they, and, and and so yeah, there was there was sort of a Sort of an attraction, and you know, I think it's partly because they they were seeing Jesus, you know, in the sisters, uh, in their eyes, and they didn't maybe know who he was, um, but they caught a glimpse of him before before they passed, and, and many of them opened up, you know, during that time, um, and, and asked for baptism or asked for a priest or you know asked for their own pastors, you know, or rabbis to come. But the point is that they were uh, they were certainly awakened to spirituality, many of them, in uh, in a real way. And, and what's happening? Thank you for sharing that. Um, what what's happening now across the world, uh, and locally in all of our areas too, is kind of something that's 
really up your alley in your studies and, and what you profess. And how soon will this, what's going on now, be in textbooks that you're using? Mm, yeah, uh, soon. <laughs> because this, uh, this uh, is an is a epic event of global proportions uh, that will change many things, uh, I predict. It's certainly um, in the relationship between government and uh, healthcare. There will be have to be some reexamination of that, and I mean we will see political regimes rise and fall uh, because of this mm-hmm. over the next probably two to three years uh, in the response to it. And so, yeah, so this will be one of the defining events of the the 21st century, I would predict, and it will be in our textbooks. And I mean, you know, in teaching all my students right now online, you know, and just trying to help them see. You know, this is a this is an event of of this so importance that you're living through. Please, you know, be keeping a diary, be keeping a journal of of your daily life to create these kinds of sources for future historians uh, that I've just been reading from from a hundred years ago. Uh, create new kinds of sources and memories and experiences that you know people will be having in this that will be of inspiration to to the future. Just like we can draw inspiration from from the past. And so, Doctor Stewart, um, what do you think that history has taught us? Um, when it comes to what we're dealing with right now, what can we learn from what in in the past um, in terms of the the present pandemic? Yeah, wow. Well, here's one of the sisters that, uh, from Philadelphia. She said, uh, "Through this experience, I have learned to appreciate my vocation to the religious life more than ever before." So, I think living vocationally is is a major lesson that comes through to me, both from the early church, the plague of Cyprian, and the creation of the first hospitals amongst Christian culture, to, to, to recent Christian culture here in this country, is the importance of vocation, and uh, of living in an intentional way that's oriented towards toward other people, uh, and taking care of other people, and uh, prayer, and allowing one's vocation to, to draw one toward Christ, and toward a kind of heroism that each generation is capable of. Um, we may not have thought we were called to heroism recently, um, but we now see that we are. And I think seeing past examples of, of people acting heroically and vocationally um, can really help us sort of sift through the issues that are in front of us, sift out the ones that are less important, focus on what our priorities should be, and move forward with hope and confidence. And as you describe that, Doctor, you're really talking about how do we as Catholics respond in a virtuous way um, to this pandemic, you know, um, not giving into the fears, um, you know, the, the anger, the frustration, those kinds of things, which obviously are inevitably are going to be there, but really yep. turning our attention toward what our faith has taught us about the importance of living for others and reaching out mm-hmm. and thinking beyond ourselves and and by God's grace um, and our own willingness, that'll, that'll be one of the, the blessings that comes from this experience for us, the importance yeah. of one another um, okay. in our lives. Um, anything else you'd like to share with us, Doctor? Any other thoughts or reflections uh, from your studies and what you've uh, experienced in history and how that's taught us about the present situation? Oh, boy. We could, I wish we could go for another hour here. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I, I will. I'll, uh, I'll share something here. This is from a sister here from Philadelphia, again, from 1918, and uh, she reported this. One man said to me, Sister, 
God must have sent me here to change my opinion of you, Catholic ladies. I hated Catholics before this epidemic. Now, I shall revere the name of the Catholic sisterhood and defend them as my life. You good ladies came here to nurse us at the risk of your own lives, and I have learned my lesson. God bless you. Wow. That's how that's how he concluded. Yeah, it's this non-Catholic person who, you know, just didn't, under, you know, had a certain anti-Catholic kind of tinge to him, which a lot of people did 100 years ago and, and still do. Um, and so this, this outreach, her outreach to him, uh, you know, help was a witness. And it was a, a kind of form of evangelization that I think uh, we're being called to to again here. Um, and I think that uh, the, like, we have a duty to pray for and support our own medical professionals today as much as we can. And that would be the note I'd want to end on is the need to unite behind them be praying for them, to, to listen to the instructions from our leaders, um, both civil and ecclesiastical, who can see the bigger picture so often than we can, um, listening to them, obeying the, the authorities, so that we can contribute in the best way to, uh, to supporting the, um, a medical solution to, to the problem that is, that is the scourge that is around us right now. Mm. That's a beautiful way to end this uh, interview. Thank you, Doctor, very much for your... Um being with us today and sharing with us these thoughts. It's been really wonderful. You're welcome. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you. Stay healthy. Still to come up, join us as we pray the rosary live on the air for all those afflicted by the coronavirus outbreak. It's our invitation to you to unite as a family of faith and hope in such an important time. We'll be right back to pray that rosary. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network.